You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show, to the 2020 edition of CXMH. My name is Robert Vore. I'm one of your hosts, and I am joined as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Robert. Oh, it's so good to be back and hearing your voice and just yeah. kind of having a fresh start, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. How was the last couple weeks for y'all, holidays and, and all that? Uh, how, how's that been? Yeah, it was really good. Oh, man. Our our little family, we really needed this space to rest. And I am so thankful that um, we ended up truly having some actual space to rest. Um, some of that was, you know, just with our schedules and having some more fun things that we were able to do just as a family. Some of it was, you know, thanks to a little cold virus that was circling through our home. But <laughs> but it's okay because it, it all ended up giving us that space to just like be home and rest. And yeah, um, yeah. so it was good. What about y'all? How was your, how was your holiday break? Good. It, you know, I was, we were talking about it the other day and it feels like a weird, a weird kind of rest because both Christmas and New Year's being on Wednesdays made both the weeks feel like, okay, there's always kind of like something to be done. So it felt like there wasn't a lot of kind of just like downtime. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that feels a little strange, but there's obviously there's pockets within, you know, within there that there is some rest and different types of rest, right? There's mm-hmm. the rest where Gray still goes to daycare. And so Brooke and I can kind of just like relax and rest. And then yeah. there's like all, our family together resting and things like that. And we've definitely had a, um, a couple sicknesses here and there yeah. as, as small children tend to have. Um, yes. But I think we're, I think we're doing all right now and we'll all head back when this releases, we'll all head back kind of like full time to get back in the swing of things. Yep. Yep. Well, I'll probably, yeah. I might, I'm going to try to, um, by the time this releases, I know that week, I think I'm going to take one more week to just kind of get my head wrapped around like the upcoming semester. I know I've mentioned in the last episode of 2019 that I have a, a research leave scheduled for this coming spring. And so I'll be home or, you know, at some nearby coffee shops or just finding little pockets of space to write and focus on a couple of projects that I'm doing. But I'm hoping that I can just maybe that first week where the kids are back in school that I'll have a little bit, yeah. a little bit more space just to breathe and and then really transition in. So this is not yeah. no, the norm for me. Usually I'm like frantically getting ready for the semester and prepping my classes <laughs> and, you know, yeah. but, but I'm trying to find these little spaces when I can actually give myself permission to take a couple extra days to actually do that. So, um, yeah. So hopefully, yeah, I'll report back to y'all and let you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. But. Well, kind of related-ish, right? Heading into mm-hmm. the new year and things like that. On our last episode, we talked about kind of reflecting back and then whether we did resolutions or goals or like word of the year, things like that. Yeah. Uh, updates on that front in terms of what you've reflected on or think like, hey, I'm going to try to do this moving forward or I don't know any. I don't know if you do resolutions or words yeah. or goals or however you want to phrase it. 
Yeah. 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 So I definitely, I know I mentioned in that last episode that I really do like to create that space to reflect and look back on the year and like, what can I take away? Like what nuggets of wisdom or lessons that I've learned can I take away from, from that season or that year? And, and I definitely had some of that. I think the, the biggest, most practical thing for me is to reduce um, hopefully reduce the amount of travel that I do this year. I traveled a lot last year and and I think, you know, they were amazing opportunities, but if I can find some discernment in which um, which trips that I say yes to, I'm going to try to practice that this year. So there's definitely yeah. that. And then just ways in which I, you know, am more present with the kids, spend time with them, try to intentionally plan some little dates with them. I'm going to try to be doing that. And with Corey, but I think overall, especially with this research leave that I have coming up, I'm really going to spend some more time to be curious and to do things mm. that, as we were just talking about before we started this, like the, the things that I have cut off from myself that I I used to do and I really enjoy doing. And, and I, you know, I just, I love to do before starting grad school, before for my PhD program, before the tenure track process, I'm I'm also going to try to use some of this space to try to integrate those things back in that I used to love to do. So those yeah. are so yoga is one. I know we were just talking that, that I um, I had a yoga class that I came back from this afternoon, and you know I'm just trying to integrate that back in. So those are kind of the the I guess those. I would call them priorities. They're not resolutions, but they're priorities yeah. for me moving into the year. And then as far yeah. as like a word of the year, um, so in 2019, my word for the year was grounded. And again, I use these as like a filter for how I go about my year. Um, and for this year, the word that honestly it, it chose me was light. And there's a mm. few layers of meaning for that for me, but, but that's going to be my my word for this coming year. So, um, yeah. anyways, what about you? What, I mean, what, what do you do? And I know you said you don't like resolutions. I know we talked about that last time. Um, yeah, yeah. but what is this looking like for you moving into 2020? Yeah, well, I think I'm, I'm going to keep some things kind of rolling that I had been intentionally implementing over the past couple months, I would say the past like mm -hmm. six-ish months. Uh -huh. um, so I know that we we briefly talked about kind of those five words that I had yeah. kind of come up with of like, here's how I want to bring myself to any given situation. So I'm going to keep those because those haven't changed. Mm -hmm. And then I think I have, I like you said, priorities. I like that better, I think, because uh, I was mm -hmm. kind of fumbling around when I was asking you, right? Like goals, resolutions, where like the, they all seem like, uh, I don't know. But priorities, yeah. I think is a good one. Um, and so yeah, I actually, I, the other day I was just typing, you know, in my notes on my phone or whatever, cause I kind of thought of like three that, that really stuck out to me. Um, and each one kind of comes from a person, which is, which is funny. Hmm. Um, the first one comes from you. Oh, you didn't know that yet. I um, did. You, you posted a bunch of Instagram stories the other day about books that you had read. Yeah. And you, uh, it was like this awesome recap of books you had read and you there was like a parenthetical in there somewhere where you said reading instead of scrolling at night yeah. with the yeah. amount of books, right? Yeah. And I do pretty consistently feel like hey, I don't I don't have the time that I want to read uh, things like that. Like we read a lot of books for the show and then mm -hmm. there's other you know just I like learning and things like that and so 
I think read instead of scroll is going to be one of them mm-hmm. right? instead of just like kind of consistently scrolling, particularly at night, but even in, in, you know, kind of in between moments doing something better with that time, not better, but right. more towards just where different. I want to just go with different. that time. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes. The second one is kind of related. A lot of the, the, the first two sound like they're kind of hating on, on social media, but if you've listened to the show at all, you know, that's not my stance, right, you know, but right. making sure that I'm using it as a tool that I in the way that I want to use it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the second one comes from Stephanie Smith, who she does a newsletter and a website called Slant Letter. She's an editor, but she sent a thing out maybe a month or two ago about writing reflectively, not reactively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when I try to sit down and do some writing, which I've mentioned that before, and and anyone listening is probably going to say, where does this go? Because you don't post anything right like I don't have no. like an active blog but every time I sit down to write I think oh like scroll through Twitter for a second or whatever and then I end up most of my thoughts are like very reactive to whatever's happening or what mm-hmm. someone has said and that's not it doesn't tend to be like a productive place for me to write out of because it's very kind of just spur of the moment and things like that and so I think trying to using that and we'll we'll link the you know the the newsletter there but yeah writing re- reflectively not reactively I think is going to be a goal of mine because I'm not I'm not super great at that anyway but I think hopefully that will also help me be kind of less frustrated when I sit down and you know an hour later I think oh, I haven't written anything I've just been scrolling around or mm-hmm. you know things like that yeah and then cool. the third one comes from a conversation I had with friend of the show Mark Allen Shelsky he's a pastor he was on the show a while back but we had a, a, a conversation one time and he told me about this thing that he does called transitional prayers Hmm. where just as he's transitioning from anything in his day, if there's like, you know, he's going from one thing to another thing, he tries to just in that time pray, you know, hey, God, help me see your presence in this next thing. Hmm. And then like, that's the whole thing, right? Just like these transitional prayers yeah. of help me to to see where you already are in this thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that, again, the, a lot of these are like kind of small things because that's how we like advocate for making lasting changes. Yeah, right, but, right, right. right. Uh, these like day-to-day little moment things um and so i'm gonna i'm gonna try to do that as well oh uh, that's so good three, oh know. that's so good i love that oh i love each of those there and i love how you were saying like just making these small incremental little by you know just little steps how helpful they can be it actually makes yeah. me think back to an episode on thrive neurology with dr liva right um yeah, yeah, Jerome. And um, he had talked sorry, at one no, we're, Sorry, I we're know. friends, so I call him BFF, Jerome. But, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he talks in one of these episodes about if you, you know, just growing three to 5% a year. And I think when I remember hearing that and thinking, like, oh, that is so helpful, just that I don't have to put this pressure on myself that I'm going to do a total 180 and change like half of who I am and or my behaviors. But if I can just do these little three to 5% increments or two to three percent or whatever it was it's so helpful yeah. and just you know j- you just mentioning that made me think of it yeah yeah I'm so glad that the scrolling or that the reading instead of scrolling was helpful too and I will also note that I deactivated my Instagram so I'm glad I posted that before <laughs> before yeah, I you got it in <laughs> Yeah, I got that in there before I unplugged it but especially with the research leave coming up I'm realizing like Oh, I, I really want that that deep work space of just being able to dive in deep and not even let the temptation of scrolling like be an option. So hmm, um yeah. so I kind of 
unplugged that. Sorry, listeners, if you follow me, I'm sorry, but forgive me, please. <laughs> and trust that it'll be for good reasons. So, and sorry yeah. to you too, Robert. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, right. I, we you just text me all the pictures you would have Instagrammed, and then that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. So, but I love, I love each of those. I think those are beautiful um, intentions or priorities or just, yeah. And I can't wait to read that newsletter. Yeah. 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 So anyways, but I would love to, for our listeners, if you have priorities or intentions or, or resolutions or whatever it is for you, like send us what those are. Cause I love hearing how other people are intentionally trying to grow in the upcoming year. Um, Yeah. send those, send those to us. So, yeah. Well, shall we shift into kind of what's ahead? Yeah, definitely. I think this is a really good one to kind of kick off the year. Mm -hmm. It's uh, one that obviously we both really believe in, but also it's just fun because it's a a good friend of both of ours. That's right. So for this first episode of the new year, we are talking with our good friend Andy Kolber about her new book that, so this episode will come out Monday the 6th and this mm-hmm. book releases tomorrow the 7th. So if you're listening on Monday, you still have you know time to pre-order or if you're listening after that, just you know go order it. But this book is called Try Softer, A Fresh Approach to Move Us Out of Anxiety, Stress and Survival Mode and Into a Life of Connection and Joy. And we've had Andi on the show a, a number of times. Um, I know that we both are big fans of hers yeah, and consider absolutely. her a good friend. And so I um, yep. loved having her on again. Yeah. And I, I, I'm so excited for our listeners to get to hear this one. And I think especially in light of the new year, as you were just mentioning, I mean, honestly, I can tell some of the wisdom that we picked up in this book that our listeners will get to hear about. I am totally integrating them into this upcoming year. Um, just this idea of trying softer. And um, yeah. anyways, yeah, I'm really excited for our listeners to get to hear it. Yeah. So I guess we should just move out of the way and wish each of you um, a very happy new year. And um, we're excited for y'all to get to hear this episode with Andy Colbert. All right. Today, we have on a dear, dear friend of both Robert and I, um, Andy Kolber, is coming on the show. For those of you who've listened for a while, you may recognize this name as she has joined us uh, before in, in previous episodes. But for those of you who aren't familiar with Andy, she is a licensed professional counselor in Castle Rock, Colorado, and she attended Denver Seminary for her graduate education. Andy specializes in working with folks who are looking to process through trauma, depression, and anxiety in various stages of their lives, and works frequently with folks struggling with grief, transitions, boundaries, uh, relational issues, and knowing how to integrate faith within their experiences. Andy's written for a number of outlets and is, as I mentioned, a returning guest of CXMH, and she is the author of the new book, Try Softer, a fresh approach to move us out of anxiety, stress, and survival mode and into a life of connection and joy. Andy, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you guys so much. It's really good to be with you. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Is there anything that I uh, missed in your in your bio there? Um, no, that's a pretty good. I mean, it's a pretty good description. Obviously, there's always we're always more than our bio, right? But I think the the one thing that I would say um, that I 
you know, is that I definitely come and really try to work from a trauma informed perspective mm-hmm. in terms of, so even with those, um, a lot of those things that I mentioned in terms of, you know, how I support clients, um, always keeping in mind just sort of the holistic perspective of how our body moves through pain and yeah. how our experiences, our past experiences inform our present. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I refer to that as little t trauma, um, those experiences that haven't been fully processed and still hold um, some disturbing content and and tend to inform how we're showing up in the world now. Yeah, yeah. that's really yeah. important. And that's good. That you, I'm glad you added that. I was going to say, I've used that little t trauma, big t trauma that I got directly from one of, I think the first time you came on the show a while back, <laughs> I've used that all over the place in my professional life and writing and talking and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And so mm. I think that's, that's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I really got that concept mostly from Dr. Francine Shapiro, who is, um, the original, the sort of the creator of eye movement desensitization reprocessing or EMDR. Um, she is, I first, I mean, I think this term has been used a good amount in psychology now, but she kind of coined, I think that term, or at least made it more popular in terms of helping people understand why even folks who don't have like full post-traumatic stress disorder can still benefit from, from things like EMDR. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, that is important to include that. So I'm glad you noted that. Well, I know we've definitely had you on the show before, and I know you've had a lot of opportunity, you know, in some of these past episodes, you've been able to talk a little bit about what brought you to um, this line of work. But for those who maybe didn't get to hear those past episodes, um, do you mind kind of doing a little bit of a summary about what inspired you to become a therapist and, and just what you've been learning in your time walking alongside and working with clients? Absolutely. I'd love to share. Um, Yeah. So I've been a therapist for, gosh, it's been, I think about 11 years. And what really brought me into this line of work is essentially my own trauma, my own story. I grew up in a really chaotic and dysfunctional family that Um, you know, what I didn't understand growing up is that I was experiencing lots of chronic little T trauma, which, um, you know, there just wasn't a lot of language, um, then. And even when I actually got into the field, there was still very little language around, um, the types of experiences that I personally had. Um, I sort of always presented as a very achievement oriented, put together, just like overall seemed like I was doing okay in the world person. But internally, I experienced just a ton of anxiety and depression, a really strong and biting inner critic, um, and just a sense of like, oftentimes deep aloneness. And so it created this this experience where I knew on the outside, I looked okay, but on the inside, I wasn't okay. And so I just started to get really curious about that. And like, this can't be started to wonder. I'm like, this can't be how it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? I just was Mm, like, this feels wrong. And so I think without completely having the language for it, that is really what led me to work in the psychological field because I, you know, I really began to recognize that there had to be deeper forces at work here. And over time, 
I've just sort of been able to do a lot of my own personal work, but then that led me to get additional training in the areas of trauma and body-centered work and just really coming from a more holistic perspective um, on what it means to be a person. Mm, That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And a lot of what you're talking about shows up in this book, right, Holly? And I have had the absolute Mm. pleasure of reading this book already, which is so good. As we mentioned, this book is called Try Softer. What do you mean by Try Softer? And, And maybe also, you know, what inspired you to write this book? And why, why is this message so important that you've taken all this work in your own experience and offered it, you know, as a gift to people that might read it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Try Softer has been sort of the, the invitation of my life, like the invitation of the last decade. And it's sort of evolved over time. Um, originally, this idea was presented to me by a wise supervisor who who was so like I'm so grateful and for all the therapists listening man I just uh, I want to encourage you to lean into those you know those folks who go before you and who can support you and because mm-hmm. it just matters so much when you're doing this work to feel like you have places to unpack um, and with your own therapist but also you know even from a um, from a work standpoint but so I had a wise therapist I'd been a I'd been in the field for a couple of years and I just was headed straight for burnout. And I was like so empathetic and wanted to do such a good job. But it was like I was applying the same strategies I had used to survive a really dysfunctional family to my life and my job. And what that meant was it was like I had never learned how to sort of care about other people, but also care about myself, like to know when. I, my body was at its limits to know when my spirit needed a break to sort of pay the same compassionate attention that I was actually giving my clients. I didn't really know how to do that for myself. And so over time, like this has really been, this is, I say, I tell a lot of people like try softer is a love letter to my younger self. It's what I wish I had, um, Mm. you know, 15 years ago. Because I didn't have any language to put to the experience I was having. And and so for me, ultimately, where TriSofter has gone to is learning to pay compassionate attention um, to my experience. And, And a lot of times, because I come from also a faith context, I also say to pay compassionate attention in the same way that God is already kind and compassionate to myself. Gosh, that is so good. I yeah. love it, the language that you use just to saying that this is like a love letter to your younger self because I I mean I can totally I can totally tell that that is what it is. And the ways uh and the 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 phrasing, the just the way that you communicate this tenderness to your younger self, but that I think easily resonates with so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I think that that's crystal clear and that, you know, that, that sharp inner critic that you mentioned earlier is just not, it doesn't seem to have a space in these pages, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I love all of that. Well, I guess in the lines of that, just in thinking about, you know, what it, what it is necessarily that you mean when you say try softer, 
there's one thing that I do want to highlight and talk a little bit about or ask you to kind of touch on, and that's the attachment styles and just attachment Mm -hmm. in general. Do you Mm -hmm. mind kind of just talking through like, what is attachment? What are these attachment styles that you write about? And why do we even need to be thinking about these in Mm -hmm. our efforts to try softer? Yeah, great question. Yeah, as I was writing this book, I just have to say that one of the big challenges was to figure out how to make this a cohesive idea and how to bring in, you know, it's like my mind had all these different pictures of what it meant to try softer. And I was like, how do I, how do I help this make sense to other people? Not just to me, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so, but, but how that relates to attachment is, you know, I'll go even a step back and the thing that I'll just say, and, and your, your listeners may have heard me talk about this because I've talked about it in prior podcasts, but I think it's important to understand, um, you know, when I talk about like little t trauma or just trauma in general, I'm coming from this really broad definition that trauma is anything that overwhelms our nervous system and our ability to cope. And then that can go into two categories that can become, and depending on what caused the thing that was so overwhelming, that can become PTSD, depending on some very specific diagnostic categories. Or um, a lot of times little t trauma is not catastrophic, but it still affects our ability to cope oftentimes. And when it becomes chronic, it can have the same effects as full-on post-traumatic stress disorder. So the reason I'm sharing that is because our attachment style goes all the way back to our very earliest experiences of care and responsiveness, like our caregiver's responsiveness to us. That's what begins to create the the template, the framework for our attachment style. And so essentially within that you know, when caregivers are not appropriately or what we could think of as good enough in terms of their responsiveness to us, that actually is a form of trauma. That's a form of little t trauma. And so that's the connection with this perspective that we carry this this narrative in our body about what it's like to interact with people. And so when we've had experiences of care that have been good enough, our view of the world and of God and of people is essentially like, it's not perfect, but like we're overall, like we view ourselves as essentially loved, essentially valuable, capable. We tend to be able to soothe ourselves. We tend to, as an adult, what happens is we internalize a parent, like a parental voice that's like a good enough parent. (laughs) So what that means is as an adult, if you've had what's called secure attachment over your lifetime, when hard things come into your life, um, you may be like, you know, yeah, I didn't do the, you know, I didn't win, but it's kind of not the end of the world. Like, I know there are people who love me, you know? But this other category is which we could call insecure attachment when our parents or our caregivers haven't been able to provide responsiveness creates a, a story in our body and essentially an internal parental voice that is, can sound pretty yucky sometimes, you know, and it's going to look a little different based on a 
person's particular story. But when I talk about that, that internal critic, that's the critic who's like, well, you're always going to be a failure or, oh, your body has, you know what, like you better lose weight because nobody is going to, you know, nobody's going to give you the time of day or of course you messed up, you know, like whatever that sounds like this type of experience is really tied to our attachment style. And so ultimately that's where this idea of compassionate attention is in many ways moving towards what we could call earned secure attachment, even as adults. So becoming and finding secure attachment in ourselves and with people and with God, even when maybe that's not what we've been given. Hmm. It's so good. It is so good. And it's so, I love, you know, just how complex this is too, but how well you're able to articulate this and explain it and with something that is so complex. So that's well, yeah, yeah that's good. Well, and I was even, when you were talking about that, that voice of this critic, right, I was thinking one of the phrases that they might use, right, is, hey, this thing has gone wrong. Well, if you would have just tried harder, right? Like the response to everything being just try harder, which obviously is kind of the the flip side of what you're advocating for with the title Mm. of this book. Mm -hmm. Can can you talk through some signs that maybe we're living out of like this try harder mentality? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So this try harder mentality or what I've come to call white knuckling is really, in a way, a response to that little t trauma. So first of all, that's, a th- I think, an important idea is that, mm-hmm. like, let's say we're put in a family system or a cultural system or a church system in which the only, like, the messages we're given, maybe explicitly or implicitly, is you don't matter, The only way you matter is if you achieve. The only way you matter is if you don't complain. The only way you matter is if you fall in line. The only way you matter is, is if your body looks a certain way, you know, like it can go on and on. Mm -hmm. Like are all the things that are required of you to have Mm -hmm. value and to just be a person, right? Which we know, you know, especially from a Christian perspective, like we are um, imbued with value. Like we are, um, we have the spark of the divine. We have the Imago Dei in us. Like we don't have to earn our value. So, so when it's, it is traumatic for us when we're put in situations in which we should inherently be able to experience belonging and connection and and we're not given that or it comes at such a high cost that we are required to cut ourselves off from ourselves. And so when I say white knuckling, that's kind of what I mean is that it goes past hard work. Um, it goes into a place in which we're pushing our body, mind, and soul into places that we don't like we don't have the budget for it basically like we're going into overdraw now and but we do it anyways you know and that was my experience in in my childhood and in my early 20s is that I learned that that's how I had to be to survive I learned to to matter to even just like be in a room with other people I had to be in this white knuckled way because otherwise like what might happen you know? Yeah. And so some of the signs that we might be white knuckling it, you know, look like, um, 
constantly going into what I would call, you know, essentially fight or flight or, you know, getting to a place where, uh, you know, maybe we have rapid heartbeat or we're all of a sudden we have emotions that feel disproportionate to the situation. You know, somebody stubs your toe and you want to rip their head off, you know, like, like, or like somebody cuts you off in the grocery store line. And before you know it, like you're ready to just break down in tears. You know, those are the types of things that I would say are giving us clues that our bodies are operating outside of, you know, what is from a clinical standpoint is called a window of tolerance or the range in which we can feel our feelings mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that's tolerable. And so, you know, other things might include, um, you know, feeling like you're living off of only adrenaline and then coming to a place where you're so wiped out that you feel disconnected or depressed and not really feeling completely connected to your body um, or emotions. You may experience things like not feeling like you can use your voice. So not ever feeling like if someone asks something of you, like you can never say no or just intense feelings that if you were to say no, like what's going to happen? That's a good sign that, you know, we're coming from a place where it's, we've learned we must align with what other people want from us rather than what the information our body is giving us. Oh my gosh. That is so good. I love how much you're emphasizing like listening to your body and that aspect because I think for so many of us that work in some type of health helping field or ministry or something like that, right, we would ascribe cognitively to like, of course, I believe that everyone has value like inherently, right? Like we would say, mm-hmm. yes, we believe that. But experientially, I think the more and more that I work in a ministry setting or a therapy setting, almost nobody that that might be an exaggeration but you know almost everybody says yes i would i would say that that statement is true but most of us are operating experientially out of like the opposite of that mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. navigating yeah. that like hey what do you what is your body and how are you actually moving through the world do you, is that actually how you are steering i think is is a very important question mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah no i love that you highlight that because it's so easy to know about something, you know? And I think in a Western culture, we highly value cognitive knowledge, but we we don't really value experiential embodied knowledge, which I would argue is the essence of true knowledge, you know? <laughs> um, and so we, we, ha- we are living in a disconnected, disembodied way. You know, we know about things. We don't truly know them oftentimes, not always. And so, you know, I think that this is essential for anyone. I mean, it's, it's essential for anyone. And if you're working with people, holy moly, doing your own work matters exponentially even more because it, this is, you know, this is how harm happens. <laughs> like when we are not doing our own work, when we are not in touch with our story and our wounds, we often unknowingly, unconsciously harm other people because we're living out of essentially like our lower brain that um, when we don't give it that compassionate attention, it doesn't go away. 
<laughs> like it just comes out in other ways. You know, it comes out, I, a lot of times I say it comes out sideways, you know? So the rage or the anger we won't let ourselves feel, it's going to get projected on other people. The, the nurturing that we need, that may come out as um, various types of addiction um, or numbing. You know, I mean, there's just so many ways that we that we shift and move so that we don't have to actually look at what's happening in ourselves. And, and it's like, I think, yeah, I think it's just, it's just vital that we begin. And it's, it's like, it's a process. Nobody's going to do it perfectly, but that we with compassion begin to make space for our own stories. Yeah, Mm. that's good. Yeah. And well, let's, can we talk a little bit more about this emphasis on listening to our bodies and, and specifically, just thinking about some very practical ways that perhaps we can practice trying softer. I mean, we I know I know Robert had asked about, you know, what are some signs in which we're in that white knuckling space or in just trying harder, but but what are some practical ways that we can practice trying softer? And hopefully if if you can link that in with um, paying attention to our bodies and listening to our bodies. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, I think that's great. And yeah, I think and one of the things I'll just add for your listeners is that, you know, I think that my hope is is through the book that this idea builds on itself. So I'm going to give you some some places to start, but I think one of the things that I try to really emphasize is that this is not a prescriptive fad. <laughs> like this practice of trying softer really is a practice. And, and so just that idea of it's almost like entering in to a way to be versus um, I'm going to do this once and, and not at all like that's what you're saying, Holly, but just that that's that idea, you know, that this is like, this is a shift yeah. of, of how we do things rather than here's your checklist for three things, you know, but I do think that it's helpful to hear and I hope it will be helpful to hear uh, for folks to hear like some examples of what this might look like. So the first thing that I just would want to emphasize is the idea that we can only try softer when we're in what I referred to a little bit ago as the window of tolerance. And so the basic idea behind that is, again, that this is the range in which we can feel our feelings um, and it's tolerable. So for folks um, who've had or have a lot of chronic unaddressed trauma, both big T and little t, um, typically our window of tolerance is smaller until that trauma gets starts to get processed. And here's why that matters is because sometimes as we begin to do this work, it can feel a little like, whoa, like my window of tolerance is smaller than I thought, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to affirm that if that's you, um, or if you might have a hunch that that's you, that's okay. Like this is actually really normal um, as you begin to do this work. But so trying softer, I think one of the first steps is just getting curious and just beginning to pay attention to, you know, sort of like, um, when do I feel like myself? When do I feel like I'm connecting with other people that I can think about things with nuance and mystery and, um, you know, I am be able to be creative. Like these are signs that we're in our window of tolerance. 
And one of the things that I think is even a good idea is that to, to notice in your body, like, where do you notice that when something, when you're doing those things that make you feel like yourself? Um, so for me, like I love, I love going on walks. Like I love them. It's so random, but I really love being outside and going on walks. And so for me to even just take a moment and, and notice my body as I'm walking is, is a really great source of like integration because what I'm note from, this is from like a, a helpful sort of adaptive side. I'm noting, I'm noticing what's working for my body. And, and so a lot of times we have to begin to pay attention to like why it's working and what's working so we can really get comfortable sort of the lay of the land. And then alternately, what we begin to do is also notice when we're getting outside of our window. So, you know, a coworker says something to you and like all of a sudden you've got a knot in your stomach and your heart started racing and you have, you know, all these feelings come up and what Trisofter in that situation might help us to recognize is that that coworker was maybe, um, maybe there was a boundary violation going on there. Like they were asking you to do something that you really weren't okay with. Yeah. And the work of compassionate attention, as we get better at it and more practiced, we can listen to the information of our body and say, huh, that's interesting body. <laughs> that's a really big reaction. And over time, we can begin to develop a voice. And I, you know, I make, I create some scripts in the book and stuff where we can say to our coworker, you know, thank you so much uh, for that idea. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that right now. Um, maybe we can brainstorm something else. And so the the way that that's compassionate attention is that we're listening to the feedback of our body, and we're saying our body is telling us. Hey, this doesn't feel okay for me. <laughs> if I were to say yes to this person, it would it would mean white knuckling myself into something that literally requires me to numb and suppress my true experience. So like that's just an example of how that might how that might play out. Mm, that's so good. Well, and I appreciate even just how you had mentioned earlier on that, you know, this isn't something that you can just say, here's the three tips and it's all fixed and everything's, you know, but this is a long, intentional journey for many of us to try softer, especially when, as we've already talked about, culture is in so many ways, the systems and ways in which we've been growing in have really had this voice to try harder. So man, it is, it is, it is tricky to, to make this shift and going slow is going to be absolutely necessary for it to be sustainable, I think. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Well, one other question that I had too in in reading through this book and um you know, you mentioned earlier in the episode how you know, this is a love letter to your younger self. I want to circle back to that if that's okay. Absolutely. And you you really talk throughout this book about the value and need to be loving the younger version of yourself. You you mm. give us examples and I love the story of you going back to the home that you grew up in and what that mm. was like and um just these memories that you shared with us as the reader and invited us in to reflect on with you. But I I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit about this process of loving the younger mm. version of you and what is what does that mean? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this concept and I talk about it quite a bit. And it's certainly not my, you know, I'm certainly not the first person to talk about it. But, you know, a lot of times I, I discuss the concept of reparenting and and that has a huge interplay with, you know, what we talked about before around um, attachment, right? Like a lot of us, even if we may have secure, even if like now we have a secure attachment, or even if we grew up with a secure attachment, because none of our caregivers would be perfect, like none, none of them, most of us have parts of our story that carry some pain, And what can happen with that, like, let's say that's, you know, we'll call that little T trauma, is that that's a story that can oftentimes continue to live literally in our body, you know, and that's expressed through, you know, sensations and um, emotions. And um, the more trauma that we have, oftentimes, the more younger parts we have. So for me, having experienced a good amount of attachment and developmental trauma, I definitely carry, like I have younger parts of my my story that carry, have carried some of that pain. And I've had the opportunity to really work through much of that pain. But those parts, they actually don't go away. But what they, what can happen is that we can sort of help them unburden themselves from the pain that they carry. And we sort of help create a corrective emotional experience for the younger parts of ourselves that still exist within us. Mm. And so for me, and, and really, I think for many of my readers and listeners, what we, what most of us don't realize is that we can do this work even now, (laughs) like right now are, you know, and so when somebody like for example, let's say I have a good friend who um, I really care about, and we've really done you know so many things together, and they like really dis- they do something to really disappoint me. Um, if I have attachment trauma, there's a good chance that there's a younger part of myself that will be activated mm-hmm. by that experience, yeah. and who will once again feel like, well, nobody loves me. They always disappoint me. They never show up for me. Here we go again. I'm, you know what I mean? Whatever the story is. Yeah. And so that's really the beauty um, of compassionate attention because this is where it allows the top of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, if we're in our window of tolerance, this is possible, to really nurture and soothe the younger, lower parts of our brain that are the ones that carry the pain. To be able to, this is where we do the work of reparenting. That we can say, we can, we can say to that younger part, oh, you know what? What happened to you was so real and so valid. And I am so sorry. Like that should not, that, that wasn't okay. That wasn't your fault. But I am here now. And I will not, I will not let you um, be abandoned in that way again, because I'm with you. Like I won't leave you. And, and what begins to happen is we listen to that younger part of ourselves. And this is where there's a really beautiful intersection with faith too, because God at, I believe God at the core of who God is, is just this really amazing, good, gentle, wise safe parent. Mm. And so God can actually support our adult selves 
to support our inner selves, our younger selves, to be able to nurture and allow that pain to process in the way that it's always needed to, so that we don't have to be stuck in that story anymore that says, everybody disappoints me, or I have to do it on my own, or everyone's going to hurt me, or everyone uses me, or whatever that story that we hold in our body tells us. And so this is just an absolutely dear part of my personal story. This is work that I do in my life right now that I continue to do because I'm a survivor of complex trauma. You know, I... I have, I have to be really mindful of my parts. And I think of them like, you know, like my kiddos, like in the same way that I think of my kiddos, I think of those younger parts that when they are hurt and bruised and wounded, I want them to come to me and I want them to feel that I have their back no matter what. Gosh, that is so good. I love every bit of this. So there's this might be some of the difficult or like the the challenge of interviewing someone who we know so well and obviously yeah. respect is I was about to as you were talking about like towards the beginning of that answer I was thinking ooh this is perfect because the first time we had you on the show we talked mm-hmm. about how God can serve as a source of secure attachment and so I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I've got a follow up mm-hmm. to like bring that back in uh, and as I was typing to Holly in our little side thing like ooh I have a good question after this mm-hmm. you uh, said exactly that and I had to say yeah. oh, nope, never mind You're no, reading no, our minds mind. you got well, there well and I I mean I was gonna say too. One of the things that I love in you walking through this and the um, just that that reparenting and attachment and um, and loving these these younger versions of ourselves so tenderly. I mean, I know I had the distinct joy to be able to have lunch with you Mm -hmm. and Sweet Jude a little while back, and and I and I know we we got to talk a little bit just you know Mm -hmm. about younger versions of ourselves and. And I just really, I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, I mm-hmm. really get it. The importance of loving those younger parts when, you know, in many ways, parents did the best they could with what they had and, you know, and, and, and there are ways in which perhaps we didn't get some of the things that we needed as kids mm-hmm. from our parents. Um so finding ways to be able to enter into a space of healing through this work, through trying softer, I think is beautiful. Mm. And I just think you've written and explained it so well in this work. So I'm really great. Personally, I'm really grateful, Andy, mm. for that. So thank you. That means a yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say to our listeners, obviously, these episodes are only so long, and we highly encourage you to go get this book. Yes. The whole second <laughs> chapter is about practices to try softer mm. and all, all sorts of stuff. This book is fantastic. I know I've you know shared about it online, which I don't do a ton of, but because I, I love your work and I love mm-hmm. you and I love this book, and so mm. I definitely recommend it uh, with you know all the highest recommendation that I can. So obviously writing a book like this is intensely personal and takes a lot of time and energy and and all sorts of stuff. So we'd love to ask, you know, what is your hope for this book as, you know, it releases here soon and uh, goes off into the world? What what's your hope for this book? Mm, yeah, I mean, I think there's a t- it's two parts. I think the first hope I have 
is that it will begin to help people have language to their experience in which maybe they have felt like they couldn't name their pain because they felt like it wasn't bad enough. Um, They didn't, like for the people who felt like there was no category for their pain, I really hope that this will allow them to begin to feel seen in a space and know that it is so important and, and it's a huge step towards healing that they would begin to honor their story. And I really believe that has tremendous impact for our culture in general, like just how much it matters that everyone does work, does this in deep emotional work. And the second part is really simple, but it's just that my, my deepest prayer is that folks would begin to have the tools to live out what I would call the embodied life of the beloved, like the knowing and the, and the deep like body knowledge <laughs> that who they are is intensely, um, profusely valuable and that they have permission to treat themselves that way. Mm, that's so good. Gosh, yeah. Andy, I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to bring you on to the show this week. And I'm so grateful for this work that you're doing and this healing message for so many of us. Um, mm. Listener, if you would like to connect with Andy, you can find her at andycolber.com or at andycolber. Uh, we'll have all the links in the show notes. If you'd like to connect with Robert, you can find him at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Vore. Uh, you can connect with me at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. Andy, Gosh, I am just so grateful for your time, your presence, your wisdom, and just the gift of your your being and um, and all that you bring to us. Um, thank you again so very much for being here with us. Um, but before we wrap up, I wondered if you had any closing thoughts uh, for our listeners. Mm. Yeah, I think just to say that, you know, if you still have breath in your lungs and a heart beating in your chest that you're still here. So keep going and you are so loved. Mm, That's so good. Thank you so much, Andy. Mm. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.